Cosmos. VOA won the hits. Welcome to Learning English, a daily 30-minute program from the Voice of America. I'm Ashley Thompson. And I'm Dan Novak. This program is designed for English learners, so we speak a little slower and we use words and phrases especially written for people learning English. Today on the program, Jill Robbins tells us about the study of something very unusual, the frozen body of a 3,500-year-old brown bear. Brian Lynn presents this week's science report. We close with the next part of our U.S. history series. But first, here is Jill Robbins. A team of Russian scientists recently examined something extremely unusual. The frozen body of a brown bear that lived thousands of years ago. The cold preserved the body almost perfectly in the frozen lands of eastern Siberia for almost 3,500 years. Maxim Chaprasov is the laboratory chief at the Lazarev Mammoth Museum Laboratory at the Northeastern Federal University in Yakutsk, eastern Siberia. This find is absolutely unique, the complete body of an ancient brown bear, he said. In 2020, reindeer herders found the female bear on an island in the Arctic Ocean. Part of the animal was sticking out of the frozen ground, or permafrost, on Bolshoi Lakovsky Island. The island is around 4,600 kilometers east of Moscow. Because it was found just east of the Bolshoi Aterakan River, it has been named the Aterakan Brown Bear. Low temperatures helped preserve the bear's soft tissue for 3,460 years. It also let the scientists know about its final meals, bird feathers and plants. The bear is 1.55 meters tall and weighs nearly 78 kilograms. For the first time, a carcass with soft tissues has fallen into the hands of scientists, giving us the opportunity to study the internal organs and examine the brain said Chiprasov. The scientific team in Siberia looked at the bear's brain, skin, and internal organs so they could study its cells, genes, viruses, and other organisms that lived inside it. Genetic analysis has shown that the bear does not differ in mitochondrial DNA from the modern bear from the northeast of Russia, Yakusha and Shukatka. Chaprasov said. He said the bear was about three to four years old when it died from an injury to its back. It is unclear how the bear came to be on the island, which is now divided from the mainland by a 50-kilometer-wide body of water. It may have crossed over ice, it might have swum over, or the island might still have been part of the mainland. The Lakovsky Islands contain some of the richest treasures in the world for the field of paleontology, 
The area attracts both scientists and ivory traders, hunting for the remains of woolly mammoths, a kind of hairy elephant that disappeared long ago. I'm Jill Robbins. A new study suggests that current tools used by scientists to look for signs of life on Mars may not be effective enough to make new discoveries. A group of international scientists is raising questions about the instruments used on the latest spacecraft and vehicles to explore Mars. The concerns started after researchers carried out tests on soil and rocks in Chile's Atacama Desert. The area is one of the driest places on Earth and one of the oldest deserts in the world. The area, which is geologically similar to Mars, is often used by scientists to carry out experiments to improve Mars research methods. The team tested material from a fossil-rich area in the desert called Red Stone. It was once a body of water that now contains a large collection of microorganisms. Such microorganisms, also called microbes, are commonly studied in the search for ancient life on Mars. The American space agency NASA says this part of the Atacama Desert is dry and rocky, and experiences extreme temperatures and severe radiation from the sun. If you can find life here. You might be able to find it in an even harsher environment, like the surface of Mars, the space agency said in a statement. Researchers from NASA and other organizations have spent time in the desert, testing instruments meant to be used to search for signs of ancient life forms on Mars. Such testing is carried out in areas where bodies of water once existed. This is because those areas, called deltas, contain higher levels of ancient microbes to study. The Redstone area was a river delta about one hundred million years ago. In the most recent research. The team tested four instruments at Redstone that are either currently being used on Mars or are to be used in the future. Research results were recently published in a study in Nature Communications. The scientists said the instruments were not able to make clear identifications of several signatures or signs. That would suggest the presence of current 
and ancient microorganisms. The researchers said the instruments did find numerous microbes of unknown classification. Scientists call such microbes dark microbiome, and they are of limited use in efforts to search for past life on Mars. The team said their testing led them to believe that the latest instruments used on Mars might not be sensitive enough to effectively make discoveries about possible life. Armando Azua Bustos was the study's lead writer. He said new instruments and technologies should be considered to improve the current tools used to confirm microbes on Mars. Azua Bustos is a research scientist at the Center of Astrobiology in Madrid, Spain. He said ineffective instruments can make confirmed identifications of microbes extremely difficult. The high chance of getting false negatives in the search for life on Mars highlights the need for more powerful tools. He said, "The team is suggesting that space agencies either put more complex instruments on Mars, or bring samples back to Earth for close examination. Such efforts will be needed to conclusively address whether life ever existed on Mars." The researchers said. Both of these plans, however, are extremely difficult to carry out," said Alberto Ferran. He is a visiting scientist in the Department of Astronomy at Cornell University in New York. Ferran urged planetary researchers to decide which methods are more effective at searching for past life on Mars. The first possibility would be to use the limited abilities and instruments currently on Mars for studying many samples. The other would be to have limited samples examined by the best instruments on Earth, designed to identify signs of microbial life. NASA currently operates two explorers or rovers on Mars. One vehicle, Curiosity, is searching an area called Mount Sharp within the planet's Gale Crater. Curiosity has been active in the area since landing on Mars in 2012. In addition, NASA's Perseverance rover has been gathering rock. Soil and atmospheric samples at Mars's Jezero crater since September 2021. Both areas are believed to have contained large water bodies in the distant past. Materials collected by the rovers are expected to be returned to Earth in a future mission. That mission. A joint effort between NASA and the European Space Agency is planned for 2028. I'm Brian Lynn.
Brian Lynn joins me to talk more about this week's science report. Hi, Brian. Thanks for being here again. Sure, Ashley. Thank you for having me. This week, you described a study in which scientists raised concerns about instruments currently being used to search for signs of life on Mars. So today, let's talk about some vocabulary words that appeared in the story. That may be new for English learners. Okay, sure, Ashley. One of the words that appears is highlight, which can be used as both a noun and a verb. So, as a noun, a basic definition would be the best or most important part of something. An example of this usage would be someone describing the best or most interesting part of an event, such as a sports game. And they might say, "I think the highlight of the game was when Cristiano Ronaldo scored the winning goal." And in your report, "highlight" was also used as a verb. Yes, that's correct. A scientist was using the term in a different way. He was suggesting the study about instruments currently used on Mars highlights the need for more powerful tools. To search for signs of ancient life there, so in this way, as a verb, it means to center attention on a particular subject or idea, and in a related way, highlight as a verb can also be used to set apart different sections of a document, and this could be done with paper markers, which are also sometimes called highlighters. Any other words you would like to discuss? Well, another one that shows up in the report, and I feel like we use it quite often, is address. As a verb, the basic meaning would be to deal with or call attention to something. So, for example, to address a problem means one would spend time thinking about the problem or issue, and then deciding how to deal with. Or address it, and as a noun, the main meaning of address is the physical place where something exists. For example, every business or home has a physical address, which is the actual numbers and street names that show exactly where something can be found. Thanks a lot for those explanations, Brian, and for taking the time to be here today. You're welcome. Thank you, Ashley. VOA Learning English has launched a new program for children. It is called Let's Learn English with Anna. The new course aims to teach children American English through asking and answering questions and experiencing fun situations. For more information, visit our website, learningenglish.voanews.com.
Welcome to The Making of a Nation, American History in VOA Special English. The war between the United States and Spain in 1898 was one of the shortest in American history. The fighting lasted about three months. Yet that short war led to long-term changes for America. Victory made the United States an increasingly important world power. Larry West and Shep O'Neill tell about those developments. The United States received several of Spain's island colonies as part of the peace agreement. The most important was the Philippines. Many Americans thought the United States should not have overseas territories. But President William McKinley thought the Philippines were unprepared for independence. He decided to keep the islands and prepare the people for self-government in the future. A Filipino nationalist group led by Emilio Aguinaldo rejected American control. Aguinaldo declared the formation of a Philippine Republic, and he started a guerrilla war against the occupying forces. The rebellion in the Philippines became a major issue in America's presidential election of 1900. The Republican Party renominated William McKinley as president and it nominated a hero of the Spanish-American War, New York Governor Theodore Roosevelt, as vice president. The Democratic Party, for the second time, nominated Congressman William Jennings Bryan as president. It nominated a former vice president, Adlai Stevenson, as vice president again. William Jennings Bryan campaigned against the American takeover of the Philippines. He received support from a new group, the Anti-Imperialist League. Members included leading American politicians, businessmen, and writers. President McKinley did not campaign much. He let vice presidential candidate Theodore Roosevelt do it. Roosevelt spoke of America's success as a new economic and political power in the world. He said the Republican Party was responsible. The majority of voters liked what Roosevelt said. They elected the Republican candidates. The Republican victory destroyed the hopes of many nationalists in the Philippines. With William McKinley in the White House again, they saw little chance of gaining independence. Nationalist leader Emilio Aguinaldo, however, refused to surrender. As long as he remained free, the guerrilla war would continue. For months, American forces tried without success to find him. Finally, with the help of a tribe of Filipino mercenary soldiers called the Macabebe Scouts, 
they captured him. Aguinaldo signed an agreement to support the United States. With this agreement, the rebellion ended on the island of Luzon, but it continued for more than a year in the southern Philippines. Hostilities ended officially on July 4th, 1902. American occupation of the Philippines made the United States a major power in the Far East. As such, it began to develop new policies toward Asia, especially a new policy toward China. Americans had been trading with China for years, but not heavily. As the American economy grew, however, businessmen saw China, with a population of 400 million people, as a great market for American products. Other countries were interested in this market, too. Britain, France, Germany, Japan, and Russia all claimed special rights in parts of China. They began to divide the country into areas called spheres of influence. It seemed these areas could become foreign colonies. Then the United States would be cut off from trading directly with China. To prevent that from happening, American Secretary of State John Hay proposed what became known as the open door policy. Secretary Hay asked the nations involved to agree to equal trading rights for all countries in all parts of China. No nation, he said, should interfere with the rights or powers of any other nation in China. No one welcomed the proposal, but no one rejected it either. Most of the nations involved said they agreed with the idea, but they said they could not approve it unless everyone else did. Secretary Hay refused to wait for them to act. So in May 1900, he announced that all the nations involved had given their approval to the open-door policy. The new policy was tested very soon. Within a month of Hay's announcement, violence broke out against foreigners in China. The attacks were led by a secret group called Righteous Harmonious Fists. Foreigners called its members boxers. Boxers hated all foreign influence in China. They organized in areas where foreign influence was strongest. They killed Christian missionaries and Chinese who had accepted the Christian religion. They also destroyed foreign industries, especially railroads. The Chinese government in Beijing supported the Boxer Rebellion. It permitted the Boxers to occupy the capital. The rebellion lasted about two months. It ended when an allied force of American, British, French, German, and Japanese soldiers 
reached Beijing and ended the Boxer occupation. The foreign powers began to negotiate with China on paying for damages. The United States was worried about the results. It believed some of the nations involved would use the Boxer Rebellion as a way to gain more control over Chinese territory. Secretary of State Hay quickly announced America's policy on the issue. The United States, he said, wanted a settlement which would bring peace and safety to China. The settlement must protect China's territorial rights, so it would not be divided into foreign colonies. Britain and Germany agreed. With their help, Secretary Hay got the others to accept money, not territory, as payment for damages. The final settlement forced China to pay three hundred. Thirty-three million dollars. The United States used some of its share to pay for the education of Chinese students in America. The results of the Boxer Rebellion and the Spanish-American War made clear that the new century would have a new world power: the United States. And this new power had a president with the political skills to do the job, William McKinley. In September, 1901, President McKinley made a major foreign policy speech at the Pan American Fair in Buffalo, New York. He spoke about the importance and the promise of America's new position in the world. The next day. President McKinley went to the fair's Temple of Music. He planned to spend several hours meeting the public and shaking hands. A young man waited in line to see him. When the young man stepped in front of McKinley, McKinley reached out to shake his hand. Two shots rang out from a gun the man had hidden. Under a cloth, one of the bullets struck McKinley in the stomach. The president was taken to an emergency hospital on the fairgrounds. He was not conscious. The bullet had damaged his stomach, pancreas, and one kidney, but doctors did not believe he was in danger of dying. The man who shot McKinley was Leon Cholgosh. Cholgosh was an anarchist. He believed all rulers were enemies of the people. He believed the people had the right to kill them. Cholgosh also was mentally ill. He had tried to join several anarchist groups. They refused to accept him, however, because of his mental condition. After shooting President McKinley, Cholgosh explained why he had done it. He said it was not right for one man to receive so much public honor, while he received none. 
For two days, the president remained in a coma. Then his condition changed. He regained consciousness and was able to talk. He rested and became stronger. Then the president's condition changed again. An infection developed in his wound. It spread throughout his body. In another few days, he was dead. Vice President Roosevelt hurried to Buffalo. He went to the house where the president's body lay. Then he went to another house to be sworn in as president. He was forty-two years old, the youngest man ever to hold the office. Roosevelt declared that the administration would go on as before. It is my aim, he said, to continue unbroken the policy of President McKinley for the peace, the prosperity, and the honor of our beloved country. And that's our program for today. Join us again tomorrow to keep learning English through stories from around the world. I'm Ashley Thompson, and I'm Dan Novak.